The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke, chapter 2. If you're able to stand, please do so now to receive the Gospel. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel And the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age having lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, They returned to Galilee to their town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We all know the story of the three wise men. We will hear about them in the next couple of weeks as we reach the time in the Christian year called Epiphany. Their story is always part of the epiphany observance because those wise men recognized Jesus as a great leader. They followed his star. They came bearing gifts to pay him homage. In the 6th century, we began to talk about the three wise men, though the text of the New Testament does not specify that there were three of them. It only specifies that they brought three gifts, three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so from the gifts, we infer that there were also three wise men. 
They became immensely popular in the sixth century. We began to talk about them as as there as uh, being three in number, and they were provided then in the sixth century. They were provided with names which also do not appear in the biblical text. We all know the story of the three wise men. We picture them with our Christmas nativity scenes. They are familiar to us, very much so. But we have almost entirely overlooked the story of the three wise women in the New Testament. It is found in the first two chapters of Luke's gospel. Each of these three women played a vitally important role in the life of Jesus, and they merit even more than the three wise men do. They merit our attention and our understanding. In many ways, these three wise women are the mothers of the church and our mothers in the faith. We remember them as presenting gifts to Jesus, the king. They all had gifts for him. But the three wise women had gifts, not only for Jesus, but for you and me, too. Their gifts extend from Jesus to us. They're a different kind of gift than the three wise men brought. The first of the three wise women is named Elizabeth. She was the wife of a priest in Jerusalem and a relative to Mary. We presume Mary's cousin. Tradition says that she was trained in Levitical learning. She was skilled in Aramaic and Hebrew. She knew how to read the text. Very unusual for a woman in those days. But she was the kind of person to whom a pregnant, unmarried cousin would go to spend the first trimester of her difficulty. Everybody needs a cousin like that, or an aunt, or an uncle, or a sister, or a brother. Everyone needs a person to whom they can go when they don't know what to do, when they can't figure things out, and when they need time to think. Elizabeth was just such a person. Elizabeth, to Elizabeth was given the incredible privilege of saying for the first time, Ave Maria, Hail Mary, full of grace, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Elizabeth, our mother, Elizabeth holds the the gift of expectation. That which her cousin Mary carried in her womb was blessed by God and for the world a great gift. And Elizabeth began... Well, perhaps even before Mary did, Elizabeth had the gift of expectation. She expected great things from her cousin uh, Mary and from Mary's child. We too, like Elizabeth, might look to the birth of Jesus, to the coming of Jesus with expectation. Expectation that, that through him, we in our world can be changed. Expectation that, that through Jesus, God's love and God's justice can fully embrace us. And we can fully embrace him. Elizabeth, Elizabeth expected those great things from Jesus, from Mary's child. And hers was the gift of expectation. Let it be ours too. Elizabeth was the first of the wise women. The second was Mary. Mary was a country girl. A rabbi once said that 
that when she learned that she was to have a child without the benefit of marriage, Mary might well have said, Oy vey, enough is enough already. But she didn't. (laughs) She didn't say that at all. My soul doth magnify the Lord and my heart rejoices in God my Savior. That's what she said. Despite this, this potential calamity in her life, despite what would have been seen by most other women, all other women, as a tremendous disappointment and embarrassment, Mary looked to God in obedience. Mary, our mother, holds for us the gift of obedience. Elizabeth, the gift of expectation. Mary, the gift of obedience. Despite the shame and the rejection of pregnancy without marriage. She submitted herself to God's desire. She trusted God's God's work and God's call and submitted herself to God. We too, like Mary, might look at our life and our circumstances. And hearing the call of God upon us, respond in obedience. Obedience for us means no less sacrifice than it did for Mary in our day. Sometimes, I don't know where we get the idea, but, well, most of the time, we make the assumption that obedience to God will just, will just allow us to keep on going the way we're going and doing the things we're doing. That, that obedience to God will mean fulfillment for us, too, in the ways that we imagine fulfillment. We assume that obedience to God will mean, will mean comfort for us. Comfort and, and uh, the realization of our own dreams. Obedience to God will mean things will go the way we want them to go. But Mary, Mary had a different outlook and a different experience. Hearing the call of God upon her, she simply responded in obedience. And obedience meant for her significant sacrifice as it does for us. It's no easier for us than it was for her to respond to God in obedience and go the ways that God calls us to go. Mary, our mother, holds for us the gift of obedience. And it is a formidable gift. It is one that challenges me and all of us day by day. But we have a third mother too. Not only Elizabeth with her gift of expectation and, and Mary with her gift of obedience. But there's a third. I'm not sure that I would want this third mother in my congregation. Luke says that she was married for seven years and then widowed until the age of 84. Now, 84 doesn't sound too startling to us today because it's not uncommon for people to live to 84 now. But keep in mind that in these days, That we're talking about here. 84 was double life expectancy. If a person lived to 40 or 42 in those days. They were quite old. To live to 60 or 65. Was was to be old in itself. To live to 84 was unheard of. Unbelievable. But she lived to be 84. And it says. Luke tells us. That Anna lived in the temple. Where it says. She worshipped day and night, and she fasted and prayed there. If you read between the lines, that probably means she was a pest. She was there all the time, fretting the priests and the pastors. 
We never sang that hymn before. How are we supposed to know that? That's not the way the last pastor did it. That's not the person that you should have visited. You should have gone to see this other person. Anna was her name. And when they brought Jesus to Jerusalem, she took one look at him and she headed out and went around town saying, what you've been waiting for has finally begun to happen. Anna, our mother, holds for us the gift of witness. She waited, she anticipated, she hoped, and she prayed for years, for decades, bearing witness to her faith. And when the Messiah came, she shouted it in the streets. We are called upon at Christmas to examine our lives and see how we've received this gift of Christ. And then, like Anna, place ourselves in his service, bearing witness to God's great love to us with our voices and our lives. Anna, Anna was a witness to Jesus' birth. She was a witness to the fulfilling of God's promises to God's people over long ages. And she shouted it in the streets. So, by the ways that we live and the words of our mouths, we are called upon to do the same. The gift of witness, to shout it in the streets. Three wise women. Elizabeth and Mary and Anna. How much greater than the three wise men they are. Their names are recorded in the New Testament. And they they not only did something tangible which heralded the birth of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah, but they left and, and, and offered Jesus gifts, but they left gifts for us too. Gifts of expectation and obedience and witness. Gifts that we can take up and use in our own time. How different would our lives be if we valued those gifts as much as we value gold and frankincense and myrrh. Expectation, obedience, witness. These are the callings of the Christian life. Expectation, obedience, witness. Some years ago, a, um, a life insurance leaflet company advertising its life insurance products told this story. A father and two children, a boy of eight and a girl of ten, all good swimmers, entered the waters of the Atlantic at New Jersey at the seashore resort a few summers ago. They were swimming together some distance from the shore. They became separated and the father realized they were being carried out to sea by the tide. Today we would identify it as a riptide that got hold of them. The father called out to his daughter, Mary, your brother and I are going to the shore for help. If you get tired, turn on your back. You can float all day on your back. I'll come back for you. Well, before long, many searchers were in the water in boats, scurrying over the face of the Atlantic Ocean, hunting for one small girl who'd been carried out to sea. While hundreds of people to whom the news had spread waited on the shore to learn of her fate. It was four long hours until they found her, 
far from land. She was calmly swimming on her back and not at all frightened. Cheers and tears of joy and relief greeted the rescuers as they came back to the shore, bringing their precious burden with them. The child took it calmly. She said, Daddy said he would come for me and that I could float all day. So I swam and I floated because I knew he would come. Expectation. Obedience. Witness. How many of us have so grown in our faith that we would, as it were, float calmly on life's sea, confidently awaiting the promise, expecting that God will keep God's promise, obeying God's instruction, and bearing witness to our confidence in God by doing what God says and proclaiming it to others. It's almost impossible for us to do that. Seems to me it's a tremendous challenge because we trust far too much in ourselves. We trust far too much in our leaders and in our technology and in our wealth to place all our confidence in God who is unseen and unwilling to force us to do even what is best for us. Our mothers, Elizabeth and Mary and Anna, have much to teach us. Don't take for granted what they have to show us their witness and their gifts. We need more than ever, not only to encounter, but to be ourselves, women and men like them. If there is to be any faithful expectation for the coming of God's kingdom, of God's kingdom, if there is to be any renewal of obedience among God's people, if there is to be in our church an enduring witness to the love of God, then we need to take up anew, more than ever, the gifts that Elizabeth and Mary and Anna offer us. At Christmas time, we imitate the, th- the wise men in giving gifts to each other. I invite you to imitate the wise women too. Expecting God to be above all else. Faithful to his family. Obedient to the desires and to the call of God in our lives. And bearing witness to the goodness of God as we experience it day by day. Imitate the three wise men. Enjoy the gift giving of Christmas. But, um, but imitate the three wise women too. Receive and exercise the gifts that they give us. The gifts of expectation and obedience and witness. Amen.